Trigger warning. In this episode, we'll be discussing topics including rape and reproductive coercion. Listeners, please be advised. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Stop, Drop, and Watch Bridgerton. Today, we're covering episode six, and I'm Sabrina. And I'm Kat, and today we have a special guest, my friend Anjali, joining us. Hey, everyone. My name is Anjali. I am an avid watcher of trashy TV shows, and particularly Shonda Rhimes shows, so (laughs) I was all about binging Bridgerton. So the episode gets kicked off right away to Duke and Daphne starting their honeymoon and arriving at his manor called Clyden. And I, I actually just enjoyed this scene mostly because when the new housekeeper was very excited about like showing him all her improvements to the place, he's like, no, 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 like we're good. I got to show her the bedroom. And I was like, okay, this is a very <laughs> quick intro to all the servants that this is not going to be like his father probably. So my immediate thought was I actually just got married recently too. And I was thinking not much actually changed for me. We were already living together. It's such a huge difference where you were literally moving home. She'd never seen this place before. It seems really stressful. But on the other hand, like looking at Clyden, I was like, oh my God, maybe I would be fine moving in without having seen it before. But it's also um, a big change for Simon as well, because he's only moving back because his father died. And so it's kind of this big momentous change for both of them. The next scene is the tea party with the ton where Eloise and her mom are already starting to talk about, hey, Eloise, your turn next. It really made me think as soon as Daphne left for her honeymoon, her family is already ready to start getting Eloise into her season. The other thing I really thought about was that, and Sabrina, maybe you have thoughts on this too, but I was thinking a lot about how with siblings, especially of the same gender, a lot of times you have the younger one either trying to do things exactly like their older sibling, or you have the younger sibling trying to do everything the opposite and be as different as possible. Yeah, I I think when I look at, I have three older siblings, and when I look at them, I kind of get to pick and choose which parts I want to like use them as a role model for. But Eloise has a very direct line to Daphne, like, it's hard for me to imagine that there's only one right path. The second section of my notes is the bull point is, who do you think is the worst character and why is it Eloise? Eloise is objectively the worst in my opinion. I think the writers believe that she is supposed to charm us when actually she is just incompetent and frustrating. <laughs> she doesn't want to follow her sister's path and that's understandable. But what does she actually do about it? She just whines a lot. And in earlier episodes, we kind of see her contrasted against, you know, these working women like Sienna and Genevieve, who, despite having a lot less privilege in life, like make do with what they have. Eloise has a lot more of that, but she just kind of sits around complaining and also being a really ineffectual detective. Her central plot seems to revolve around her being obsessed with Lady Whistledown. She explains, you know, there's this woman who has kind of taken control of her own life and she's managed to provide for herself and create a vocation as, you know, presumably a highborn lady doesn't really have the option to do. But instead of, you know, seeing that example and saying like, wow, I want to do the same thing. She says, I need to find out who she is so I can ask her questions. (laughs) Like, how did you do it? 
I can only imagine that if she one day actually discovers who Lady Whistledown is, Lady Whistledown will just give her the Regency equivalent of, let me Google that for you. Like, <laughs> what, what is the point of her entire plot? I don't get it. I find her frustrating and she's the worst. <laughs> In this tea party, Colin also announces his engagement to Marina. You can definitely tell the Viscountess is not super pleased. She makes the best of it and goes to congratulate them. You kind of realized from that scene that Cullen hadn't told any of his family before announcing it so publicly. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed in Cullen here. He hasn't really done anything much wrong before this in the show, uh, but not telling his mom that he's going to make this huge announcement is... Just like a really big asshole mood for me. My best guess for why he did it so publicly is that in the next scene when he kind of has a confrontation with Anthony, he thinks that they're going to say no. He kind of guesses that by putting them on the spot by doing it in public, they won't have that option to do so. So it's forcing their hands. So then Anthony and Colin have a confrontation scene where Anthony's like, this is my fault for not having taken you to brothels and wetting your wick and getting you to sow your wild oats. And oh man, Anthony is not redeeming himself. He's going back down again. Oh yeah, Anthony's just awful. What kind of reaction is this? I should have made you have more sex. Maybe it worked for him, it worked for Benedict. I don't know. I, I wish John was here, maybe. Male perspective is still needed, but I'm like, is this what the older brothers talk about? Like, their <laughs> solutions to problems? And Colin calls Anthony out saying, you know, I'm older than Daphne. You had zero problems with that. And then he says this one line that I thought was kind of cryptic, where he says, you've disappointed me in more ways than one. And I actually don't know what he's referring to, if there's some other scandals going on. Maybe it's just the Sienna situation. But I thought that that was like definitely intriguing. Yeah, I, I was thinking this whole scene, I'm like, wow, the Bridgertons like really took some lessons in giving guilt trips. Like <laughs> this is what they do all the time between the siblings. From there, we go back to Clyden. And this is like a post sex scene where Daphne's kind of telling Simon in a flirty manner that like, oh, this is why like all the mothers keep this a secret because it's so enjoyable. They, they have such a quick switch in their relationship sometimes to me that it's a little hard to like follow how they can switch from being like they were mad at each other. Now they're like so lighthearted that I guess this is just like an early stage like honeymoon of a relationship. Yeah, it's the roller coaster of the beginning of a relationship, except they're also married now. And I think the more critical part here is that we start to see Daphne and Mrs. Coulson, the housekeeper, interacting. Mrs. Coulson clearly is not having it with Daphne. Daphne keeps trying to give some input along the tour that's very unwelcome and then when they see the painting of Simon's mom Mrs. Coulson is like yeah she was a really thoughtful duchess a proper duchess and clearly giving some shade to Daphne. I was also kind of confused like why she already has decided Daphne's not proper enough like they haven't had a lot of interactions up until this point. I think there's some people who are just by default like suspicious on and they want people to prove themselves. It's the opposite of like the, you know, you have my respect until you lose it. It's the you have to earn it. From there, we get to see another improper moment as Daphne and the Duke uh, go to their formal dining room. It's like a super formal setup. There is literally five butlers serving two people their food, which I thought was really over the top. But you get to kind of see like, their relationship where she ends up moving her place setting over to be near him the duke takes off her glove and then kisses her basically in front of everyone 
and they run into the garden, which is Daphne's favorite place. Like, that's where all their good hookups happen. One thing I was going to say about this dinner is that Simon actually mentions that she can do all the redecorating she wants. Like, he's not attached to anything in the house. And, you know, obviously it's because of his really troubled relationship with his father. But I also couldn't help but be a little bit jealous of Daphne here, where I was like, I can't imagine Michael ever letting me make all the decor decisions in a home. He has such strong opinions. Like, Daphne, take advantage of this honeymoon stage. I did definitely enjoy that servant. When Simon was taking off Daphne's glove at the table, he was like, his eyes got so big. I was like, I don't know if they like this. They're really awkwarded out. Like, but I would definitely feel awkward if I had to sit there, like stand there and watch them. Totally. They run out to the garden where they have in the rain hookup scene, very Pride and Prejudice, the Kira Knightley version-esque scene because of the gazebo, the rain. But I loved this instrumental version of Wildest Dreams. Anjali knows this, but I'm actually really not a big Taylor Swift fan. Wildest Dreams is probably the only song that I think is really enjoyable. And this instrumental version takes out Taylor Swift even better. So I loved the music here. Wow, Kat, we're gonna have to have words after this because Kat knows this, but I am minorly obsessed with Taylor Swift. This was actually the highlight of the episode for me. I just perked right up when I heard the the scoring for the scene because, I mean, I do love Taylor Swift, but more specifically, she writes all her own songs, which means that she owns the synchronization rights to all of her songs as well which essentially means she controls which TV shows, commercials, movies, etc. can actually use her songs. And she's been very, very picky the last four or five years. However, she makes an exception in this case. I think she is also a very big, very public Grey's Anatomy fan, Shonda Rhimes fan. So I think this was her favor to Shonda, and I'm so glad she gave it. It's funny that you bring that up because... Terrace House, which is another show that Sabrina and I really like and almost made this podcast about originally, uses a Taylor Swift song as their opening song, only in the Japanese version. And I don't know what happened there, if Netflix didn't acquire the rights or what, but I just thought it was funny that you bring that up because the other show that we almost did also has connections to Taylor Swift. And then we have the crazy sex montage where it's sex here, sex there, sex everywhere, sex on a ladder. I don't know if you noticed that part. At one point, he's going down her and she's sitting on a ladder. And I was like, that seems actually kind of uncomfortable. And the other thing I think of note in this is that, again, it's really only highlighting Simon's body for the most part. We don't actually see very much of Daphne and like the female body, which is a very clear decision. So in the Bridgerton household, Colin comes down to breakfast. The Viscountess makes this kind of snide comment where she's like, at least I found out before Whistledown did. And I actually thought that Colin's answer here was kind of interesting where he's like, you know what? I've been courting her all season. Maybe you didn't notice just because you're so focused on Daphne. And I think, again, I know there's strong feelings about Eloise, but I think this is one more point in favor of why she has such maybe an antagonistic relationship with her sister, because if everyone, including her older brother, feels like their mom's favorite child is Daphne, then yeah, it's going to be a little bit harder to have a close sister relationship. Yeah, I think that's a good point I haven't thought of before. I feel like with Daphne, I just assumed like she should be getting most of the tension. Like it's her season. It's not anyone else's turn. Like it's really, okay, it's been Anthony's turn for years, but he's not taking it. <laughs> right. She has three older brothers. Yeah. But I think the most important thing for me from this scene is that 
Lady Bridgerton, like, she will lay it down and be like, you should have told me, basically. Yeah. But she also is very, like, still soft and caring of saying, like, when she says it's all happening so quickly, I feel like she's mentioning that they're all growing up so fast. Like, you know, mm-hmm. their life is changing so quickly. But regardless, and she even says, like, he seems so much more serious and solemn this time about it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think if I did this to my mom, she'd be pissed for weeks. Like, you know, it would not be the next morning. It'd be okay. And they can talk about it already. <laughs> I think it's really funny because that's totally the type of thing I would do with our parents where I just make these decisions all the time. So I think I understand maybe the call in the middle child experience a little bit more here, where you obviously want your family to be happy for you, but you've learned to not need the attention and therefore the approval so much anymore. Speaking of approval, the next scene at the Featherington household, Penelope and Marina are kind of having it out, where Penelope is really pissed at Marina for getting engaged and not having told Colin that she's pregnant. Yeah, I I was like, kind of proud of Penelope. Like I know in the previous episode, we really wanted her to face down Marina. It didn't go great. Like I think Marina's still doing whatever she wants here. And Penelope is sworn to silence due to other circumstances. But I, I think it's a little bit of character growth from Penelope for me. Then we're back at the Modiste, where Daphne is barely gone. Eloise is already getting prepared for her season, which is a season away, even though they just made Daphne's wedding dress in three days. This is another place where I'm reminded I did not hear the fake French accent for a very long time. And this is where Marina steps up and she's like, my mother is French and I secretly know French. Like, let me lay down the law and basically say that I'm calling you out for being fake. Honestly, like Marina and the Featheringtons are a really good match in terms of like a household because they don't play games. They're going to like throw all their cards on the table and I feel like they'll undercut any way they have to. Which I feel like there should be some mutual respect between them. Right. And if we want to talk about the accent for a moment here, specifically Marina's accent, I made my partner listen to this scene multiple times with me because I thought her French was actually like, okay, I think some of the intonation at the end was a little bit strange. But my partner, who's a native French speaker, definitely did not think it was at least France French. Uh, It's possible that maybe she speaks Haitian French or French from another ex-French colony. But just to kind of give you the lay of the land, he even listened with his eyes closed and he could not understand what she was supposed to be saying. You know, I'm actually kind of impressed that Genevieve understood enough French. I don't know how far her ruse goes in terms of pretending the French accent and knowing French, but I'm just realizing now Marina spoke fully in French and she seemed to understand. So maybe there's more knowledge there than I assume. That also occurred to me because Genevieve's French is so bad that I actually assumed that she spoke no French. I think if you understand that level of conversational French, she could have put on like a less hammy French accent. Speaking of hams, we move over to... A pig judging scene where Daphne doesn't want to pick any of the pigs to get slaughtered. And she thinks it's best that all of them are winners. I mean, I felt like this was just a side plot of this entire episode that I was pretty over, to be honest with you. This whole, like, Daphne having trouble fitting in. At some point, she's playing with some kid and... There's a scene between her and Simon talking about she's actually going to be okay because she'll be an aunt and have children in her life. And she says something about how children are the easiest company in the world. And I'm really not a kid's person. So I was like, oh, wow, I do not. That does not resonate with me at all. So I thought it was kind of funny. I have a child and I also agree with you. Thank you. 
I don't know if it was just me being a terrible aunt or something, but I was like, what? The easiest company in the world is my cat. <laughs> Speaking of company, the Featheringtons are hosting the Bridgertons over for dinner. And we finally get to see the reason why this episode is titled Swish, <laughs> as uh, Lady F makes Marina swish swish her dress to make sure they can't see any baby bulge. I thought this was funny. It was reminiscent of like Friends and Pivot for me because it happened on the staircase. Thought it was pretty cute. Then at the actual dinner, we have Penelope's two sisters playing the pianoforte and singing, and they were so bad that I, you know, like this is comical relief, but I, I, I also found myself thinking it must be fun to be those two actors. Like I think it's sometimes really fun to pretend like you're so bad at something versus having this stress of like maybe you know a Sienna who's supposed to be like this amazing opera singer constantly singing her in her scenes. I think it's maybe fun to have to pretend to be so so bad. From here we get to another Penelope and Colin scene where <laughs> yeah I, they're barely out of the room and she shouts his name which I didn't catch but it does annoy me even <laughs> even now reading it <laughs> like another place in the show where they're having this discussion out in the corridor. Uh, Colin's like is there something on my face? Like, there must be something on my face. I'm like, why is that his first reaction? Again, I think I empathize with Colin as a middle child, where a lot of times I use humor to try and diffuse a situation. I'm sure he knew that it had nothing to do with anything on his face, but she just came up so serious that he was trying to do something to make it a little bit less tense. And I did appreciate here that Penelope didn't expose Marina for being pregnant. She specifically says, like, there's another man. She's in love with him. She's still in love with him. And... I think Colin is just really bullheaded at this point in time. Like, he has made his decision. Everyone else is harping on him. And he's like, oh, but she loves me now. It doesn't matter about any other man. I actually thought it was kind of nice that he thanks Penelope for telling him this. Like, I think a lot of people would be pissed, especially because your whole family is already giving you so much shit about this. And I I think when he says it would be pretty hypocritical of me to be angry because I've flirted with half of the women of London... I was, I'm, I'm back, Team Colin. And Marina walks out and, you know, kind of tells Penelope, go away, I need to talk to him. And she tells him that she's really upset because no one has ever wanted her. Her own father doesn't want her. The Featheringtons want her out as soon as possible. And now from this dinner, it's pretty clear that his family is not being super welcoming. I saw this as Marina maybe taking heed from what Penelope said and Penelope sort of laughing at her mom and Marina sort of backfiring on her because I think Marina realizes she cannot fool the Viscountess and, and pressure her into getting married early. So she decides to tackle Colin one on one. And yeah, the family probably wasn't welcoming. But I, I think this conversation is pretty manipulative to try to play on his emotions. Yeah, I I felt similarly to you. I, I just was like, oh, she's really turning evil. It's really the demise of her character in terms at least for me, like in the early part of the show, I know Kat and I, we were just like really excited about Marina. It's funny because I think I am typically really cynical, but I actually didn't really read this scene that way. I mean, yes, she's definitely trying to get married as quickly as possible, but she tells him, I love you. And I think she actually meant it. Maybe I'm being as naive as Colin here or something, but I think she was extremely grateful and starting to like really actually believe that she could have a happy future with Colin. And he suggests, okay, why don't we run away to Scotland to go to Gretna Green? I researched it. I did not know what Gretna Green was. I was like, everyone knows about Gretna Green. Uh, Just so all the viewers or listeners, I guess, know, it's a village that's famous because a law passed in 1754 
meant that anyone could marry without their parents' permission if they were under 21. So super progressive. Uh, but I thought it was, I don't know, Kat, I, maybe I'm turning into you, but I didn't believe her when she said she loves him. Or if she does, I don't think it's like a true deep meaning of love. Like she also loved Sir George pretty quickly. So so the one thing that you should know about Gretna Green, I was actually pretty familiar with it. And I'm sure Anjali, you were too, because it's such a huge plot device in a lot of the Jane Austen novels were in Pride and Prejudice. They were hoping that Wickham and Lydia went there, and it turns out they didn't. In Mansfield Park, Julia goes to Scotland to elope, and Gretna Green just comes up a lot in Jane Austen novels. That said, this scene, watching it, for me, I think it was actually the saddest part of the show. I guess I'm just really a fan of Marina and Colin. I like both of them as characters. I liked seeing their relationship. It felt like they really had each other's backs, and the whole world was against them. Yeah, best couple of the show, but, you know, huge sense of impending doom. Like, what's going to happen? It's too good between them right now. From there, we get back to Clyden, which, fun fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but I saw it in TikTok, thanks TikTok, that the office of Simons is actually the office. This is not sponsored by TikTok, Sponsored by TikTok. <laughs> Sponsor <laughs> us. Uh, if, if they did, be okay with it. But his office in Clyden is actually the same office as the Queen and the Crown, which I... In the prior episodes, I kind of thought that the palace looked really similar to the crown's palace, and apparently it is. So great use of Netflix reusing all their sets. Okay, so more of Mrs. Coulson and Daphne. Daphne is trying to pick flowers. Mrs. Coulson's like, I, I will do it. Everything will be done properly. Like, stop touching things. The one thing that I needed to say here is that Rose is really a godsend for Daphne coming to this new home where she's not really getting along with anyone except Simon. To have Rose being there supporting her, like, at least you have one friend that you pay. (laughs) My prevailing thought in this scene was that these gift baskets seem really dumb. Is it just me? Like, the villagers, the farmers, they're very poor. They've been complaining about they're lacking basic necessities. And she's sending them gift baskets of lavender. And I was laughing when she was getting rejected by the villagers because I thought they were saying, we don't want your weird shit. So afterwards, Daphne and Mrs. Coulson finally have a moment where, actually, it's kind of funny because Daphne's like, hey, do you have a moment? And you see Mrs. Coulson's face. She's like, I definitely do not. I have 10 million things to do. But then they have tea together. And she learns that Simon's mother died when he was born. And she tells her a little bit about kind of the back gossip about how they had a lot of trouble conceiving Simon. And it's the first time I think that Daphne realizes that sometimes infertility is the man's fault. The only other thing I think, again, calling up the scene of Simon's mother dying in childbirth is just a stark reminder of how deadly childbirth was in that era for like all women, but still is for many women in our current world, including both Black and Indigenous women in the U.S. And like when you look at the differences in death rates, it's actually really scary. Yeah, you always go so much deeper than I am. Like when you're talking about male infertility, I was like thinking about Bling Empire and I was like, oh, Dr. Chu. Like, you know, like (laughs) I think I just keep everything so surface level and like happy in comparison to you sometimes. But Oh man, Bling Empire. That's like a whole nother podcast right there. Let let us know if you want Bling Empire as a podcast. (laughs) All right. So back from there, we get to the Featheringtons and Lady F is like so enthused that everyone is coming to her calling now that she's going to be related to the Bridgertons. But from here, we get to see that Penelope fakes sick 
she sneaks into Marina's rooms and realizes the last letter from George is a forgery by her mother or Mrs. Farley. And this is where they have a scene once Marina comes back, which I mean, like Marina like pretty quickly actually calms down in terms of her privacy being invaded and kind of tells Penelope that no matter if that letter was a forgery, he still hasn't replied to me. So essentially has left me in the baby. Penelope also finds that there's a duffel bag in the room already packed and she confronts Marina. It's like, are you going to Gretna Green? And I was like, in this moment, I was like, wow, everyone knows about Gretna Green. Like, it must be the Vegas of these times where you go to get eloped. (laughs) I love calling it the Vegas of these times. That really cracks me up. I'm not going to lie. This scene is finally the confrontation that we were kind of looking for before, where Marina finally realizes that Penelope has feelings for Colin. And, you know, I think she's like, she does not mince words. She doesn't really seem to care that her friend, her best friend, who's been helping her, has been making this giant sacrifice of letting her get engaged to this person she's deeply in love with. She has no reaction to that other than to basically be extremely mean to her about it. Oh, no. Marina, she did it for me in this part. I thought that she was being really direct and candid. I didn't think she was being cruel at all. I think, I yeah, I don't think Penelope's in love with him. She doesn't know what love is. She's a kid. They're not in love. I think it is absolutely unrequited love, a childish obsession or fascination. And I really respected Marina for not backing down when Penelope, if she, you know, she should have brought it up earlier. That's all I can say. It's like she had a million chances to tell Marina, how she felt about Colin before, and she didn't. And now it's like real late. And she's, you know, she still didn't even say it. It was Marina who finally called her out on it and realized it. I like, (laughs) I think we're going to argue more about Marina than any other character in the show, even more than Anthony. I think you're saying that there's no way that Penelope's in love. I mean, like, there's no way Marina's in love. They're like the same age. Like, they need to take a chill pill. They're on on the same page. Like... (laughs) Because Marina, just because Marina went and got pregnant doesn't mean she gets to call, like, what's love at this point, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe Marina should have gotten some real talk before she got pregnant. (laughs) Well, again, she probably didn't. So I don't fault her that much for being pregnant. If Daphne still got married and still has no idea, how was Marina supposed to know beforehand? Back at Cliveton, we have the Duke trying to get some work done. Daphne comes in, sits in his lab, and it just like really made me think of all the funny stories of how couples working together from home for the first time during the pandemic and lockdown and how there's been a lot of like drama over that where they're like, oh my God, my spouse keeps annoying me or distracting me. And then surprise, surprise, you know, some more sex. And Daphne's like, why are you pulling out? And you see her look at the tissue afterwards, like trying to put two and two together. Like what's in there? What is it? From there, she runs off to Rose. Thank God for Rose. And she's like, tell me precisely how does a woman come to be with child? And yeah, my stomach really dropped in this scene, getting to see Daphne, looking at Simon across from their very long formal dining table, seeing him be so animated. And she just is like, I think she's just in shock. Like, this is a guy she's been in love with and she's been having the most amazing honeymoon. But how can you look at someone when you know they've been deceiving you? This was like, I think actually the saddest scene in the whole episode for me. I just felt really bad. Like, I don't know. I've never been so duped in a relationship before. The, I can't believe I'm going to describe this. Oh my goodness. The act of ejaculating inside somebody is a very intimate moment, right? It's this like moment of physical connection. And to find out your partner is 
could do that and has never done it might make me feel insecure about myself, about, you know, how close they felt to me, how attracted they were to me, how much they love me. And that's kind of what I thought she might be thinking of. Yeah, Daphne is obviously really upset here. I really loved how Netflix portrayed this. The looking the other way in the bed is such a mood to me. Like, <laughs> she also walks in the rain, which is also just another very obvious mood. And it's just like it was super obvious that she's upset. I mean, I, thanks to Netflix, I guess, for some comic relief. I thought the part where like you're looking the other way in the bed away from your partner is really relatable. Like after you've had an argument, I've definitely fallen asleep like that before. So it made me connect to her more. Totally. And we needed that comedic moment because the next scene is like the scene of the show that there's a lot of controversy about. So I hope you two are ready. Um, this is kind of the big sex scene where Daphne is really initiating. And I also, side note, this is the first time I think that there is a song in here with lyrics by the way, which was interesting choice. But what we see is some serious agency in Daphne's eyes here. Uh, we actually see her naked body, like I think more than ever before. And then she climbs on top and stays there until he finishes. You mentioned the controversy. Let's just dive right into it. The thing that people have been arguing about is whether this scene compromises rape or not, and specifically, you know, reproductive coercion. She's essentially making him come inside of her, and it can be seen as her forcing him to have a child against his will. I looked up the definition of reproductive coercion on the, the Planned Parenthood website that reproductive coercion involves behaviors that a partner uses to maintain power and control in a relationship that are related to reproductive health, such as explicit attempts to impregnate a partner against her wishes, controlling outcomes of a pregnancy, coercing a partner to have unprotected sex, and interfering with birth control methods. There is an aspect of control that's very important in any type of, of rape. In the book, Daphne had already learned why the Duke would not have children, and they'd already had an argument about this. The Duke gets drunk, and in the morning, she realizes that he's aroused, but still drunk, and they have sex. She's specifically written here, thinking that this is her one chance to get pregnant. And when she rides him, she rides him until he comes inside of her. He's conscious here, but inebriated still. The book is very clear that this is not consensual and about what her intention was. Gotcha. So it seems like the screenwriters were trying to soften this scene and make it less clearly an assault on an incapacitated partner. I recognize that that's a really tall order, but I also don't think it's possible to do. You can't soften a scene where someone takes advantage of their partner into something that at the end of the day isn't still assault. The first time I watched this episode, I really wasn't paying too much attention to the scene. There was so much sex prior in this episode that I kind of found my eyes glazing over. But the second time coming back to this, it was much tougher to take in. I really found myself focusing on the emotions their eyes were portraying. Daphne's eyes were really intent and almost predatory in a sense. She was really carefully evaluating mm -hmm. the situation. And Simon's eyes go from like pure enjoyment and lust into something much more like questioning fear and hurt. And I know one easy reaction here is he's so much physically stronger. Couldn't he have just pushed her off? But at the end of the day, that's effectively still victim blaming and not much different from things like she shouldn't have worn that low cut top or she shouldn't have been at that party alone so late. 
you know, I normally only watch sitcoms and comedies, and that's in part because I hate violence and assault as plot devices. I'm just not convinced that this reproductive coercion and assault was a necessary part of the show. Then we have Eloise and Penelope finally reuniting. This was, this was a nice heartwarming scene after. I mean, okay, be clear. I'm team Penelope, so I feel really bad for her. But I really just like enjoyed their friendship. There was no questions or accusations at this point from Eloise. Like just support of knowing your friend is hurting. You don't know why, but you're here for them. And at the same time, we have a Lady Whistledown report coming out that reveals Colin... And Marina's engagement is in question. In each household, you see the mother figure delivering the news. And firstly, I was actually pretty surprised that Lady Bridgerton was awake in time because Colin had his bag. He was about to head out to Scotland, like pick up Marina and go. And somehow Lady Bridgerton was woken up in time and was able to catch him on the way out. So for this episode, let's actually do our least favorite character instead of our favorite character. I'll go first. Mine is definitely Daphne. Aside from the obvious reasons, this is also an episode in which she just goes and makes enemies with everyone. It's just not a great episode for Daphne. For me, I don't think it's any surprise either. Mine was Marina, just based on her interactions with Colin and with Penelope. Even though I really loved her great moment in The Dressmakers with the the French accents, it just wasn't enough to carry me through and forgive her as a character. My least favorite, I mean, Marina is a very close runner. I feel like she took a real downturn this episode because, let's be honest, her best moment that both of you guys admire her for is her blackmailing somebody else. And yeah, that may be showing like moxie in her taking agency or whatever, but it's illegal and it's cruel. I, I don't know, guys. I don't know why you like Marina so much this episode. I feel like everything she does is really selfish and kind of awful. However, I will say Eloise is still the best. <laughs> I guess you laid out your points for that prior. All right. So that was episode six. Thanks for joining us, Anjali.